HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. for Young Farmers by Young Farmers on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Severin, Director of the Greenhorns, and really glad to be on the phone today with the Secretary of Agriculture for Vermont, Chuck Ross. Hello, sir. Hi, Severin. How are you today? I'm, I'm very well. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you as a farmer and, and, and leader. I wanted to start off right away, since we only have half an hour. What is your mission in office there? My mission in the state of Vermont is to support and help grow our agriculture and food systems in a way that uh, creates safe and healthy food, protects the environment, and provides a livable and workable wage for the producers and quality products for the consumers. So um, you guys in Vermont have been leading the way in many ways. Um, with sustainable agriculture, with educa- agricultural education in schools, and now most recently with the launch of the Food Systems Atlas. Um, could you tell us about some of these initiatives that are focusing on resilience and, and building the kind of agriculture we'll need in the next 10 years? Well, the most important thing I think we're doing with respect to that question and our ability to have the right kind of agriculture and food system in the future is our work in education and our farm-to-school program where we expect that over 50% of the students by the time they graduate will have had interface and engagement with our farm-to-school program where they learn about agriculture and food systems. And so they will be more literate when it comes to agriculture and food systems when they leave their, uh, their school years, at least uh, through their 12th grade, and bring that education and that literacy to whatever job or next level of education they engage. If we don't have a literate community, if the 98% of the people 
who are not involved in the production of food don't understand agriculture and food systems, it's going to be difficult to address the challenges facing our state, our country, and the globe uh, when it comes to addressing food issues. And as I think you're probably well aware, Severin, the future predicts that we will have at least 2 billion more people, if not 2.5 billion more people by 2050 or soon thereafter. That's a lot of extra miles to feed with a lot of extra food to produce, and we're going to need uh, to adjust our systems going forward in ways that will enable us to do that. And we're going to have to do that within the ecological constraints of the globe we live in or the community we do our agriculture and food systems work in. And we're not going to be able to do that as effectively if we're not literate. So being literate and starting that in our schools and our families as well as our businesses is going to be critical to the challenges that lay before us. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I'm so impressed with the people I meet who are from Vermont. And then, of course, there's all the people who moved to Vermont for opportunities in the state. We had a party, uh, a Young Farmers Mixer in Hardwick, Vermont. Actually, we've had a couple of them um, in partnership with NOFA. And there were, at one of those parties in 2009, there were 200 young farmers showed up. Um, could you reflect on why your state is so welcoming for new entrants into ag and how those new entrants are contributing to um, the new businesses that it will take um, to move forward? Well, I need to congratulate the agriculture community that has preceded today. And that needs to be recognized back decades uh, to the communities and the people and the farmers who compose those communities because that's really where the kind of the cultural foundation for this state's support of agriculture and food started. And without that, we wouldn't have the ethos that we have now that is so welcoming to the people who choose to either move to Vermont or choose to engage in agriculture and food work in Vermont. And that's been an evolution happening. It, it's been in part conscious and in part subconscious on the parts of Vermonters to create that welcoming environment. And we have programs that we have uh, passed at the, at the legislative level um, that include um, the Vermont Housing Conservation Board, which conserves farmland so we have access and we have land to access. It includes the Working Landscape Enterprise Fund, which invests state dollars in critical components of the food, forest, and agricultural systems so we can leverage different elements to grow our food and forest economies. It includes our farm to school program that we support at the state level in partnership with our local communities. But what's so exciting and I think is so welcoming here in Vermont is we have a community-based agricultural and food systems where people know each other. They support each other, where, yes, we compete at some level in the marketplace, but really it's about collaboration and mutual support and appreciation for the importance of agriculture and food, not only to our economy here, but to our culture and to our community texture. And I think that creates a welcoming environment. And these new entrants into agriculture, whether they be 
native Vermonters who have chosen to get involved in agriculture or continue in agriculture or people have moved in from other parts of the country have really, really made an impact on this state. And it is being recognized around the country. It's being organized in part by our Farm to Plate network that we've built um, that builds upon the foundational networks of our dairy cooperatives that have been in existence for decades. That kind of network, that kind of connectivity, that kind of familiarity with one another uh, is supportive and it enables us to support the kind of initiatives that I've mentioned, whether it be the Working Landscape Enterprise Fund, the Housing Conservation Board, Farm to School, Farm to Institution, um, uh, the support that NOFA gets at its annual conference that or is enormous by the engagement of companies like Sodexo who are interested in working with Vermont and Vermonters to figure out how to source more of their food inputs locally. And the list goes on, and it's, it's a wonderful culture to be a part of. I'd say. So I live across the lake in New York State and am so impressed with the transition that's happening, in, especially in these dairy farms that the Vermont Land Trust has is, is been able to buy, strip the development rights, and then resell, and I think is leading the nation in innovative uh, multi-enterprise farms that are, that I'd say make it a lot easier for new people to get into farming when they are running a farm as a, um, a you know, with multi-enterprise, so grazing of beef, growing of vegetables, doing um, as in bread and butter farm, small dairy and, and bread, these kinds of new partnerships that make possible new entry into a, a sector that's really very dairy, very dairy heavy. Um, I wonder if you could reflect on on that on progress on that in that on that front. And also well, your own your own farm your own farm and what your what your transition plans um, what your transition plans are, how you can reflect on that. Sure. Um, well, what's one of the critical starting blocks or starting points for this diversified agricultural community we have is our leadership in direct marketing. We are, as measured in a per capita basis, the number one state when it comes to uh, direct marketing, direct access um, from consumer to farmer. And that provides marketing opportunities that help new entrants into farming uh, or new entrepreneurs into diversified agriculture to have a marketplace in which to sell their products. And we have not only been growing that, we have been growing our ability to serve a broader local community um, as seen on a regional basis, that we are serving what New Englanders would consider local, and that's some of the urban areas south of us from, uh, you know, Boston to Providence to New York City and, and other places where our food products grown in Vermont, locally grown in Vermont, are, are shipped um, through various means to those marketplaces where our local farmers um, are growing locally and competing globally because when they sell a product raised in Vermont, 
some of which is sold to Vermont, much of which may be sold outside of Vermont. They're competing in a global marketplace against other products that can show up in Boston and New York and Providence and Philadelphia. So that, that local direct marketing is foundational. Um, our evolution towards farm to institution, as exemplified by our Fletcher Allen Healthcare system, which is one of the top two healthcare systems in the country in terms of sourcing, sourcing locally, is another example of the evolution that we're uh, watching happen and we're supporting in Vermont, where Fletcher Allen um, is actually, as a hospital, become a food destination. People go to the hospital to eat because the food's that good, because they pay attention to buying locally, they pay attention to preparation. And we have some innovative models. Uh, the Intervale here in Vermont um, and the city of Burlington, an urban uh, location for a not-for-profit that helps incubate uh, farmers both as, as a place to learn but also a place to have access to land and grow their business. Uh, that is uh, important and, and has spun off a number of farmers, one of which happens to be on my farm. Um, uh, with my family, and we've gone through one intergenerational transfer uh, that put us in the place where we had to ask ourselves the question, what are we going to do with the land? I was no longer farming, but I wanted to keep the land, and I wanted to use the land, and I was able to reach an agreement with a wonderful person who runs a, uh, uh, an operation called Red Wagon Plants. She's one of five different what I call business partners that work on our farm. And uh, she is growing products that she's selling into the marketplace. And uh, she's paying me some money for the use of our buildings and our land. And she's able to access and utilize the, uh, the marketplace that our farm location happens to benefit from, as well as the land and water resources that are on it. Those are examples of, of things that are happening in Vermont not only um, at the Intervale, not only on my farm, but also with the Vermont Land Trust, the Vermont Housing Conservation Board that conserves land with programs like Farm Viability and the Vermont Agriculture Development Program of the Vermont Sustainable Jobs Fund. There's a mouthful. Two programs that help train entrepreneurs and farmers about how to run their business. Because at the end of the day, farming is business in the most positive way, but you need to run it as a business. And that doesn't, you're not born with that intelligence. You have to learn that. And we have programs in Vermont that support that kind of education. So at the foundation, Severin, the, the key, again, comes back to education. Education from the people who have been doing it for years in the way of our uh, strong business managers and um, farmers in the way of the dairy community, as well as these new people that have figured out different ways to raise different crops in our state and bring them to market, and run a business that supports their family. Well, and it's just amazing the breadth and, and, and the extent of these programs in Vermont. If anyone isn't uh, already, already thinking about moving to Vermont before listening to this podcast, I'm sure they are now interested, and they can find out all of this information through NOFA, through the Vermont um, Secretary of Agriculture page, the Government um, Agriculture Ag Market site um, and through the Sustainable Jobs Fund, um, which has a really wonderful new food systems atlas 
Um, I wanted to make sure that you knew about a project that's been bringing me to Vermont. That's called the Vermont Sail Freight Project. Do you know about that, or should I tell you I about it? I didn't quite hear your, uh, the, the name. What was it again, the Vermont what? It's called the Vermont Sail Freight Project. I have and, heard of it. I'm not as familiar with it as, I, as I'd like. Well, I'll tell you and, and get to tell my audience about it at the same time. Um, so the Vermont Sail Freight Project is basically a sailboat that will be sailing in September that's been built by a farmer living in Virgins, Vermont, named Eric Andrews, who also is a rice grower. And basically it's sailing vegetables, pickles, maple syrup, rice, dry beans, applesauce, apple cider, and other shelf-stable goods down to Manhattan and Brooklyn by sailboat. That's very interesting and very exciting. The, there's a, a Lois McClure, which is an old, is a replica of an old uh, canal boat that used to ply the waters of the state of Vermont, including Lake Champlain, um, made that kind of symbolic voyage a number of years ago, but not really stocked with the, uh, uh, the same types on, and I suspect not the same quantities of product that uh, uh, this uh, sailboat sounds like it's going to have. That's really quite interesting. I had just heard about this in the last week, and I appreciate uh, the explanation of uh, a little more detail. Yeah, it's very, very exciting, and we've been, I've been helping on the New York side, bundling product, and, you know, we have a co-packer over there, talking to the Vermont Enterprise Center, talking to ACORN, talking to all these wonderful Vermonters um, about what products could be on the boat. It's going to take 12 tons of um, value-added goods, which preserves the most retail power for the farmer, all the way down to Brooklyn and speaking with people in New York City and New Amsterdam market and various markets and groceries, and they say, oh, yeah, sailboat from Vermont? Sure, we'll take, you know, we'll take a pallet. So you're that's awesome. That's really cool. It's really cool. It's uh, that. Um, yeah, I've grown <laughs> up on Lake Champlain, and I heard story upon story about the way the lake used to be used for commerce for all kinds of products, including agricultural products. And my ancestors used to actually ship out apples from a dock on Lake Champlain to markets uh, well beyond Vermont. So this is kind of another back to the future. Back to the future, yeah, and I think a very appropriate vessel for a conversation about our regional food system and the opportunity that exists for for those who have the ambition to enter farming to really look beyond just the local market in the next in the next few years that we really can be working regionally and especially if we coordinate our efforts and um, prepare ourselves with business skills to do so. So. Um, hot sauce all the way down the river. <laughs> now really... you're you're there for another few years. What? Um, how can we help you? How can we, who um, are in the young farmers movement and who are who are starting farming, what do you? What are you looking to achieve um, structurally in agriculture that that you wanted to draw our attention to, or or what is your guidance and counsel for us? Well. You know, I, I encourage folks to um, to understand the importance of being engaged in the agriculture and food system. It is one of the important issues of the 21st century. 
and I am excited by the quality of the people who are choosing to stay in agriculture and get in agriculture and in food. Uh, it's critical that we bring the best and the brightest to this endeavor um, because it's going to be part of our ability to live the way we want to live in this world with the quality of life we need. I encourage people to bring their creativity um, as well as their discipline around business and, and, and marketing. Uh, the quality of the products we produce uh, require us to ask the consumer to trust us. So we need to maintain quality products at every step of the way in order to build the markets that are going to be able to uh, sustain the producers and to um, grow the market so we can grow more and more food locally. And one of the things I am excited by is that Vermont, by virtue of, of the people in the, the food and agriculture business, are growing a model of agriculture that, again, is a bit back to the future. It's the agriculture that can be grown and, and succeed in close proximity to the 98% of the people who are not involved in the food systems and can engage them in a way that they can learn and appreciate what's involved in our agriculture and food systems. And as I said at the beginning of the show, that's going to be critical in order to, to uh, meet the challenges of the 21st century. And so people's participation in figuring out how to grow our local food systems to build community-based agriculture that grows and produces locally and, com and can compete and produce for a global market as well is an enormously wonderful challenge and an enormously important contribution that we're already making and I believe we can continue to amplify and expand. And when we can do that, uh, we will help improve the agricultural, agricultural literacy of the people that are the 98% as, as well as the 2%. And we will be able to construct even better models moving forward. So I'm thrilled to be in a place where I can support the kind of entrepreneurs, uh, young farmers, as well as older farmers who are making real contributions to figuring out how to feed our country and, our, and frankly, our world in new and innovative ways. Well, it's really wonderful to hear your support. I thank you so much for your time. Um, I want to make sure that everyone who is listening uh, who may be a farmer, a uh, retiring farmer in Vermont or a farmland owner in Vermont, to know, um, to have confidence that there is indeed an, another generation. I'm sure you already know it. Or if you're another state, it may not be as obvious as it is in Vermont. Um, and to really take steps and engage as our, as our Secretary of Agriculture has in moving that land forward to the next generation, keeping that land in agriculture um, and, and doing the work that it takes um, to, to get it there. I wanted to make sure that also to thank our, well, I don't know if you had any reflections on that about moving the land well, forward. Well, you know, that is one of the long-standing challenges within agriculture. And uh, each farm is its own puzzle to figure out but I encourage everyone who owns land to engage in that puzzling uh, and think about how it is they may be able to 
sow the seeds for the next farmer who may be able to use their land and some of their standing capital in the way of infrastructure, um, and maybe even some of the capital in the way of finances uh, to get the next generation started. These are not easy uh, problems or puzzles to solve at all, at all times, but they're worthy and they're important. And there are a range of services um, and educational efforts underway to help farmers figure out how to do that. And, and it, but the thing it takes first and foremost is it takes a, a new farmer, often a younger farmer, standing up saying, I am ready and willing to make a go of this. How can I work with you as a landowner um, to start a new farm that's under my supervision, under my management, but uses some of your historic capital in the way of land and infrastructure? So stand up. It takes a risk. It's hard work, but it's enormously rewarding. And I can't thank enough the people who are standing up, both as the new farmers as well as the people with the resources who are trying to find new partners. Yes, indeed. It's a wonderful thing to see happening. And I want to make sure if you're, if you're on the edge of standing up and you're looking for inspiration or stories or strategies of folks who have succeeded in that, check out the new initiative called Agrarian Trust, agrariantrust.org. That's um, fiscally sponsored by the Schumacher Center down in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, which was neighbor to the first CSA in the country, Indian Line Farm, and has been a major innovator um, throughout its history in building tools for the new economy. They're now home to the Agrarian Trust, working on land access for the next generation. That's a great resource for you all. Um, no events coming up for you that we should be announcing here, or, or maybe a few? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, oh, let me think. Uh, we are pretty much uh, sticking close to home and doing uh, sticking to our knitting, so to speak. Uh, right now, we finished the legislative session a little over a month ago, and we're in, in the business of doing our regular day job uh, right now. Uh, we just completed the the uh, allocation of the first round of grant funding from the Working Landscape Enterprise Fund, um, just under a million dollars, where we've invested in infrastructure, services, and uh, enterprises of ag and food, farm, forest economies, and that's really exciting. And we're in the, about to embark on the next building the next. Uh, set of criteria for the next round of funding that will happen um, in 2014. And so that's a, a really a very exciting uh, time for us. Um, and we appreciate the support of Governor Shumlin and the legislat legislature and many, many Vermonters who recognize that the working landscape is, is a, a value, is a attribute of our community here in Vermont that over 90% of us share. Well, I thank you so much for your leadership. A quick reminder of some of the Greenhorns' upcoming events on July 4th in partnership with NOFA New York. We have a Farm Hack Day at Adam Hayner's Farm, Juniper Hill Farm. It's 30 acres of organic vegetables. He's an incredible tool head and will show you some of his made-on-the-farm tools. 
tractors, onion bunting, onion cutting, tray filling, you, you name it, he's welded it together. Then on August 4th in Stanfordville, New York, a young farmer mixer at Big Rock Farm. August 17th, the annual Beehive Black Fly Ball in Machias, Maine. Then in September, we have Farm Hack at Maker Fair, Farm Hack at Mosca Fair. Um, we have Farm Hack in Vermont at the um, it's a Teamster Farm Hack at the Draft Animal Powered Field Day in Barton, Vermont. And on and on and on. Please do join our list, check out the calendar, and keep your morale up through this beautiful rain. Hopefully it will stop soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you all. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>